special guest. Um, some of you, I, I can tell from already you meeting her, you know Nancy or you've heard her speak before. For those of you who haven't met Nancy yet, you're in for a treat. Nancy Fitzgerald was born and raised in Michigan, but she got smart and came to IU <laughs> and um, graduated with a Bachelor of Science and then went on to get two Masters of Science degrees and then taught at the high school and collegiate levels. Um, she is the founder and executor, uh, executor director of Anchors Away. How, how many of you have heard of the program Anchors Away? Several of you. We talk about it a lot in here. Um, that is a program that teaches high school seniors and juniors a biblical worldview, and then it's also a college course that they can take as well. And Nancy decided to publish the Anchors Away curriculum in 2006 with the hope of educating and motivating students to become strong Christian leaders who live and speak hope into a broken world. And the goal is that students would better understand who they are, who God is, and how to make a significant difference in the culture by the way they live and love others. And If you've never taken that curriculum, or if you have high school students, I would highly, highly encourage you to seek that out. Um, It's taught different places around Carmel. I don't even know where it's taught now around here, Nancy. But um, seek that out because I fully, fully believe in that program. It gives kids a strong foundation before they go off to college, and really even when they're in high school these days. So... The Anchors Away curriculum is currently being taught in all 50 states and 14 countries. This is just from one woman wanted to get her kids grounded before they went off to college. She saw that they weren't ready, and God took that, and look how far it's rippled. Nancy also has written two books, has taught at Summit Ministries in Colorado, and speaks all over the country. She also plays a little golf. I don't know, those of you who play golf probably recognize her name. Um, She's been included into both the Indiana and the Michigan Golf Halls of Fame. So she's pretty good. And she and her husband, Ed, now live in Colorado to be closer to uh, their four kids and ten grandkids. And that is just scratching the surface of what this lady does. When I read her bio, I didn't even know half of what she did. And I told her, I said, I was impressed with you before. Now I don't think I should even be able to stand on the same stage as you. But anyway, I've learned so much from this lady. But the thing I love about her the most is her authentic passion for living all out for Jesus and encouraging other people to do the same thing. So would you welcome Nancy Fitzgerald. Can you hear me? Does this work? This is going to be... Ooh. <laughs> okay, so it is so good to be here. And I thank Therese for not making me speak on Revelation 17. Because <laughs> I would be fired about the first five minutes of this little get-together. So I'm grateful for you, Therese. Therese opened her home for one of our classes every Sunday. And she would have everything set, except Therese never understood how to plug in the screen so we could do it. So we had a little, we had one guy that could help us, one of our students, but just faithful. Just faithful. And um, so that was, that was really good. I am indebted to so many of you sitting here for being influencers in my life. I um, am going to share my story today. We're going to break it up into two sections, kind of, uh, just because I know I get bored hearing myself talk, 
and I'm sure you will be too. So I'm going to talk for about 20, 25 minutes. We're going to take a 10-minute break because you're going to need it and then come back. And we're going to talk about the whys of life from a human perspective. Take a break and then come back to allow God to weigh in on how he sees us. And why on earth does he allow such chaos and suffering and hurt and pain in our lives? And I think that's a conundrum for a lot of us and pretty scary at times. So we're going to kind of take a peek behind that curtain. And hopefully when you leave here, you'll be more appreciative of just how unique and awesome and special you are. Um, I, I was invited to join a guy at a Christian school in the southeast side of Indianapolis. It had been abandoned by the CEO of the school. Um, it was the third highest crime in Indiana in a horrible neighborhood, some with dirt floors. And this guy calls me, he used to work with Heritage. Ed called me and he said, um, I'm at Engel and I came to this school to sell it because it was just mismanaged. But God is not letting me sell this school. So I need your help. And I said, I'm not really in the school business. He said, I need your help. Just meet with me. What would it be like in the inner city, the high crime rate, uh, oh, yes, and 92% poverty of the kids in the school. Um, They can't read. They're out doing stuff they shouldn't do, and their parents, for some of them, are non-existent. Would you like to walk this walk with me? I said, okay. I don't live here, but sure, I would love to. Um, Let's talk. So I went to have lunch with him. And I was so blown away by what God had in mind for this school. And God remind me of Matthew writing, but for the least of these, you did it unto me. I went, okay, let's do this thing. So by Zoom, and I was flying in all the time, we took this new faculty, and I took them through our course of what it really means to be a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? What does that feel like? What does that look like? And it doesn't look pretty. So you can relax. It's hard. Get your fingernails dirty. But you're working for a king and not yourself. And that's a big difference. So I, 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 met, I met his exec team and took him through this. What is the worldview? How do other people think? How does God see people that are atheists, that are, are trans, are all those things that we don't even want to talk about and the church refuses to talk about them in the church? To teach them that they're human beings created in the image of God to know him It's about time we started speaking their language instead of ours. So off we go. Eight weeks teaching the exact team. He said, okay, we're ready. Let's get the faculty in. Eight weeks on Fridays we would meet. They would watch video. They'd fill out some stuff. Boom. And by the end of that eight weeks... They had a new perspective of each kid that was coming in their room. Some of these kids were on drugs. Some of them were bruised because they were beaten by their parents, sexually abused, many of them. And and they come to their classroom. And they're a mess. So what's their language? What's their story? 
in the whole tenor, by the grace of God, not me, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit moved in that place. And I'm not kidding. If you were to go into that school today, you would feel it. It's, it's unbelievable. Far from perfect. But those kids are loved on, and they're reminded who they are. Um, it's interesting. I was teaching the other day a group of juniors and seniors. There are about 15 of them. And they were in, in the classroom, and I was talking about the power of words, of the words that we say matter, of the words that we hear matter almost more. And so I went around the room, and I asked them, do you remember, I'm going to, and I went around person by person, Something that somebody said that hurt you? And the first kid, that somebody said to you that just deflated you that you can't seem to forget? That's making you live and think differently than maybe you want to. And the first little girl said, I'm a mistake. I'll fail just like my dad. I'm a loser. I'm stupid. I wish you were never born. I was so overwhelmed with that. And then we talked about how that's impacted their lives. And what I learned about kids that come in with raggy clothes who have fought to come to school or walked forever to come to school, who are hungry physically and emotionally and spiritually, that the potential in these young people is amazing. They can learn. And they can become leaders, and they can change the culture a whole lot more than we can. Sorry. Because they're living right there. They're living there. Turn this thing. And so then I asked them, what has somebody told you that encouraged you? Encouraging words. And they went silent. And Salvador, sitting to my right here, he raised his hand. Salvador, what? He said, well, I, I work at, at Target. And this lady came up and told me she liked my hair. And I said, awesome. He said, yeah, that's why I still wore it this way. <laughs> I said, how long ago was that, Salvador? He said, oh, I don't know, about a year and a half. And I said, so let me get this straight. The only one in here has somebody coming on their hair. Anybody else been encouraged? Ever told that you could do something? And we wonder why we have a problem in the inner city. So I said to him, I said, has it ever occurred to you that maybe that's not who you are? That you're not a mistake? That you're not stupid? That you can't contribute? That you can't do whatever you want to do? I said, let me tell you a little bit what Jesus would say to you right now. And we call it a framing exercise that God gave me a a long time ago. Um, It's just scripture. And spoken over people, it's changing lives. And so I began to frame these kids from God's perspective. I said, if Jesus were here, this is what he would tell you. I love you. 
I created you before the beginning of time. You matter to me. Your DNA in the 15 billion cells in your body all have the same DNA. Hello. You're not a mistake. The iris of your eye, your thumbprint, is unique like no one else's. I don't make mistakes. I don't care what you look like or where you live. I love you. I died for you, by the way. And it wasn't easy. So that you can be free from the guilt and the pain that you're experiencing right now from bad choices. I have a plan for you. And it's not to feel guilty and it's not to be angry. It's, it's a plan that you might be free and live life to the full. Because when you believe that I died for your sins, I'm coming in through my spirit. And I'm going to give you hope and all those things you've been looking for in the wrong places. I'm going to give you love and joy and peace like you've never experienced. Is this what you want? And they all cried, including me. Because for them, they never heard that before. And for a lot of them, that's the first time they ever, ever, ever thought, maybe, just maybe, there's some hope We now graduate these kids in three years. They intern for the job of their choice, their senior years, and we're sending them out prepared to have work. And we've done this through, the, through Christ. I mean, by, by God's grace, this school has turned around. The attendance is up. The reading is up. The kids are excited because we've tested them. We know where their strengths are. And these kids get a certificate of graduation their junior year. And we mentor them. We have 16 companies by Christian owners that are hiring these kids their senior year, teaching them and guaranteeing them a job when they graduate. Thank you very much. God. It can be done. And there's so much that can be done if we just take a look at what God is up to. He has plans for every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful for our time together today. Lord, you know us better than we could know ourselves. And you know my pain and my hurt and all my faults. And by some amazing miracle, Lord, you're choosing to love me anyway. And the same for everybody sitting here. Lord, you know us. We don't have to pretend with you. You love us just as in our old broken bad self. And Lord, your greatest desire for us is to love you back and to trust you that we might have that peace and that joy in a world that has lost its mind. And we confess to you that too much of our lives are, feared with, are filled with fear and anxiety of what tomorrow might bring, to say nothing of eternity. Many of us are confused as to who we are and really what you want from us. So today I pray, Lord, that you, through the Holy Spirit, would speak into our hearts and our souls in a way that would quiet us down so we could hear your voice and begin to celebrate life the way you planned us to celebrate it from the beginning of time. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I didn't used to be this passionate about God. (laughs) I hated his guts. And I'd like to tell you my story. If God can save me, is the bottom line. Spoiler alert, he can save anybody. 
and use anybody. I um, grew up in a wonderful humanistic family who went to church, kind of, and it was just great. I had my mom and dad had four of us kids, and dad worked. My mom was very busy in the community, and all was well. And we would ha- we had a little cottage out on a lake up in Michigan, and it was on an island, which was wonderful. And so when school was out, we would all go up to this lake and enjoy the summer and then come back the day before school started in the fall. And it, w- it was such a serendipitous kind of a place. You know, no cars, just dogs and turtles and fish. It was, it was just really amazing. My life was just, I felt so blessed. And then, in an instant, my world turned upside down. Uh, my brother who was 12, was at camp. My sister, who was seven years old, she was with me playing croquet. Stephen, who was two and a half, was in our house. And the babysitter was next door making brownies. And we were playing. And the babysitter came. And she said, hey guys, I can't find Stephen. Anybody know where he is? We said no, and we went on playing. And she came back. I cannot find Stephen, guys. I'm not kidding you. Carol, go out in the woods. Nancy, go down. See if he's in the boats. So I go out on the water, uh, on the dock, looking in boats, in the boathouse, couldn't find him, and I'm coming back down the dock. And something catches my eye in the water. And it was my brother, Stephen. He had drowned. And he was floating in there. And I jumped in the water and tried to pick him up. I was just a little five-year-old, five-and-a-half. And I couldn't pick him up, and I was yelling to the babysitter, I found him. And she jumped in the water and came over and picked him up. And he was still. And I said, what's wrong with Stephen? And she said, he's dead and you killed him. And got out of the water and went next door. And that's the last time I had seen Stephen. So my sister and I, I I remember that day like yesterday. We went on the cottage steps and sat there trying to figure out what just happened. And in an instant came guilt, came shame. came the idea that I did something that was horrific. Horrific. And so we just sat there. It's interesting the way God has created us to be in his image because we all have a sense for God even before we know God. We have a sense for him. And I had that sense. I had that song in my mind that Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, I didn't know that. I just knew the song. But I had a sense of God. And so I went into my parents' baby or, or, or bedroom and just really just bartered with God. Begging him, begging him to fix Stephen. 
And then I went out and sat next to my sister. By that time, word had spread. I don't know how. It was before cell phones, so I really don't know how. But people were coming on that island. They were jumping out of their boats. They were just a sea of boats and a sea of people. And not one adult came over to us to see if we were okay. And this includes cousins and aunts and uncles that showed up. Why? Unless you know the hope of heaven through Christ, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? Nothing. I think we all were, all were lost for words. And then my father came over, and he said, Girls, Stephen has died, but it's okay, because he is now in heaven with God. And I heard him say this, and it didn't sit well. And I told my father, who was broken in pieces, that is not true. Stephen does not want to be with God. If God didn't fix him, why would Stephen want to be with him? He's not happy. I'm telling you, Dad, I'm not happy either. He's not happy. And my dad walked away, broken. Broken. It was a difficult summer. We didn't attend a burial service. My mother was so devastated we could really not mention his name. And we had to pretend that he never lived. But we all... All of the kids, even my brother who was away at camp, felt guilty that there must have been something we had done or not done to allow this to happen. And to add fire to the flame, I had to sleep every night upstairs in that cottage with an empty crib in my room. And burying things is difficult. How many of you can bury things? Pretty good. And for some reason, that bury just kind of pushes out on us. And it's difficult. But I buried it out of respect to my mom and dad. And went on through life thinking that maybe... Maybe, just maybe, I can forget this. And maybe this guilt will go away. Because if you don't have truth, you're going to believe the lie that I murdered my brother. And I lived with that. And I became strangely, in a dark way, familiar with that lie. Because that's what Satan does. He lies to us to the point where we begin to believe it. Let me just say that again. He'll lie to you and tell you things about you enough times that you begin to believe it, that there's no hope, that you don't matter. There's no heaven. God doesn't love you because you're bad. I was a bad child and a young adult. I was on strict disciplinary probation when I was doing some graduate work at IU and they would not take me off. I was out of control. Because that's what happens. That's what guilt and shame will do to you. A lack of direction as to who we are. So, I just kept going. And by the grace of God, my dad, who's a very good golfer, took me to play golf with him at a very young age, three or four. And I had that to hang on to. 
And so I started playing. And my dad had a really nice swing, and I just kind of watched that my whole life and kind of was like that. I got to caddy for him in tournaments. He would get a pull cart, and I'd jump on the, the, the bag, and he would pull both of us. And uh, that's how I caddied for him. He, he was so humble, such a great golfer, but so humble. And I'll just share this off the cuff. Um, he took me to play golf, and, he, and I said, well, he said, do you want to play in a golf tournament? I said, sure. And by that time, I was 10, which was the age that you could begin to play in a tournament. He said, okay. So I called him. And I said, hey, Dad, I'm a little nervous about my golf tournament tomorrow. Can you come out and give me a lesson or something? And he said, sure. So he comes out. I'm 10, and I have my Patty Berg clubs. They were to be worshipped. I kept them in my bedroom. And just an odd set, so three, five, seven, nine, and sandwich and a putter and a little four wood and a driver. I was so happy with those clubs. And so we went out and I hit my drive and I threw my driver on a nurse and my dad just picked it up. He didn't say anything. He's a quiet guy. I just put him in his bag. I said, okay. So then I played and after four holes, or three holes, sorry, my father said, now nanny, I think it's time we go in. You have a putter and a seven iron and a four wood left in your bag. <laughs> and I just thought he was being nice. So I said, fine. So we get in. My dad goes in the men's locker room, and he comes out without my clubs. And I said, where are my Patty Bergs? He said, they're in my locker. I said, Dad, seriously, I, I have a tournament tomorrow. I need those. And he leaned down to me like this. And he took my chin like this. He said, young lady, until you learn that your character will far be remembered over any golf tournament you're going to win, you're not getting your Patty Bird clubs back. Do you hear me? And I said, fine, and I'm not playing. And, um, yeah. So my dad said, not only are you playing, but you uh, actually are going to play. I'm going to caddy for you. And here's my dad with three clubs with me. I was so horrified. And he thought he was going to teach me a lesson. Well, that was the first tournament that I ever won. And I won it just out of toughness to spite my dad and to show him that I didn't need all those clubs. I was going to do it without him. And that was the beginning. And I slept with that trophy. And today I still have that trophy. I love it. It doesn't have any arms left because I slept with it. used to have a golf club, you know, stuck in some hole, some place. That's gone. But, yeah, the other ones I don't care about but that one. That one was good. I uh, continued to play that and went to school, got married to my husband, who's like me, burnout with over-religious parents who never hugged him, never told anybody they were loved. It was, it was brutal for him. Um, and he, they, but they churched, they were churched, and, but yet, didn't even love their own kids. You can imagine what they did with me when pretty. But uh, anyway, I loved them, and uh, they were nice, but they just didn't have any joy. They didn't get that. That was missing. And, and so Ed was so pleased, you know, t- to get out and, and be around people that love life. And so that worked out great. He's a wonderful dad and now retired, and, and we have four kids, ten grandkids. And, um, yeah, they're 18 Fitzgeralds in Denver, and they were all mad at us for not moving out. We told them, you were the ones that moved, not us. So we, um, they asked for some help to help with some of the kids, so we came out. And so now I commute. I'm back here about 
10 days a month working at the school and doing some other stuff. So the time came, though, when I was 32, I began to rethink about what life is like because I had four kids, a husband, I had what the world would think you needed, some golf trophies that were stuck in a closet. I mean, you know. But I lacked purpose, and I lacked joy, and I lacked peace. And I talked to some Christian friends, you know, and I just, they didn't get my questions. So I wrote the questions I had down about God and about the Christian faith, and, and I just, I was so lost but so hungry to know truth. And I addressed God for the first time in 27 years. I said, you know what? If you are who you are, I'm sorry I told you I hated you. But I'm desperate. I'm miserable. And from the earth, the world's perspective, I've got it all. But from your perspective, God, I have nothing. Would you please help me? I need to know who you are. I'm desperate to know who you are and to live a life that's going to make a difference in somebody else's life but mine. Because this is not working. And so I I looked at the other religions, their gods, but Jesus is God and I, I had a sense of that obviously growing up not in a vacuum. But that's what separates Christianity from all other religions is that Jesus is God. It separates it from all cults, all other religions. So if I could go in and do some research as to whether or not this God existed, if he really did die and raise again, if he really does forgive, and how does that work, and how do I know my purpose in life and this kind of stuff? So I asked God to teach me. And I went to my friends, and they were frustrated with me because I wanted I kind of a detail kind of that person. They were kind of not impressed. But so I, um, I just started reading everything I could get my hands on. And this is such a funny story. I, 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 I realized it by reading so many books and a lot of books just by people that, that were atheists too and, and were trying to, to do research and they found that indeed the, the scriptures were true. You know, I was blown away by that. I was blown away when I was reading and trying to figure out about the writers of antiquity, what they were saying about Jesus who lived during those times. They were Jews. They didn't even believe. And they were all writing about the death and resurrection of this man called Jesus. And they banded together and called themselves Christians. And I'm going, this is amazing. They, they weren't even believers. But I think when it's all said and done, the prophecies in the scriptures, and I know through Teresa you've had to have studied this when you study, right? This idea of the Bible foreseeing things to come in the future. Kind of, I thought, is this witchcraft? No, this is God, and He is foretelling things that are going to happen. I said, How does this work? And it was so amazing to me. How does this work? How can 600 years a prophet named, named Micah say that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, which is just nothing town? And there are 333 of those things. And I'm going, this is just unbelievable. I don't know if I believe this stuff. This is just ridiculous. I, I don't know who did this to me, but we had a guest house where we lived. And somebody invited Josh McDowell <laughs> to stay in our guest house. This is the honest, true story. And I'm in there, I'm in the middle of, I've got papers all over everything. Because, you know, when you really 
try to disprove God in something like I was kind of wanting to do and I'm lambasted with all this stuff and I was getting a little frustrated because it was so heavy and there was so much information and I'll never forget it he walked in I was sitting in a and I said oh hi he said are you Nancy I said yes I am are you living in our guest house yes I said oh nice to meet you who are you I'm Josh McDowell I went great he said what are you doing and I went well, I started out trying to disprove God, but now I'm trying to better understand him. Because I'm overwhelmed, I, I can't fight him anymore. I'm just overwhelmed with what I'm finding here, but it's so hard to put it all together. He said, are you, are you talking about the Bible? Yes. He said, is this a joke? Are you kidding me? I went, I'm not kidding you. Who are you? He said, I'll be right back. So he brings me his book, his early book. Here, this might help with his testimony in it. And I read his testimony. And then we became great friends. I said, oh my God, thank you for Josh. Thank you for Josh. And so I continued writing and doing this research and studying textbooks, but I had a friend to call to encourage. And uh, honestly, it was the most exciting time of my life to just have those curtains pulled back to the glory of God and saying, oh God, I've missed this whole thing, but I got it now. You aren't a hateful vengeance kind of God. You're a God of love who's so amazing. And I began to understand what that fear word is. Fear the Lord. That word fear, when you look it up in the Greek, is being in awe. And that's what it's like. Have you ever gone to a planetarium and looked out and and seen those pictures of the universe? It's like, whoo. And God says, every square inch, mine. Mine. And I'm not kidding you. I was so blown away. I, I was so grateful. Um, and I realized as I was studying then the nature of God and answering those questions. By the way, those questions have made up the curriculum that is written in all over the world at this point. Uh, just answering the questions that people have. Uh, there are answers to our questions, that's for sure. But... Uh, I was shocked. The only thing that really shocked me is the God of the universe, the God that had his son die on the cross, wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. He is a relational God. There's no such thing as that. In any other cult or religion, a God who came to earth to have set the example to die for for sins, but not only that, a God who truly wants to walk with you, Teresa, and encourage you every single day. And the fight is on. Satan has come to kill and what? Destroy. And Christ said, I've come to give you life. This is the truth of who you are. And it's so interesting. Scripture said, choose this day whom you will serve. It's not a feeling. Those of you that are living on feelings, trust me, I did that. It'll destroy you. Because Satan has access to your feelings, but not to truth. And you choose this day to believe that you matter to God. You choose this day. He hasn't ignored you, that he has not abandoned you. He is here with us today, and he is asking that you invite him in if you haven't. Because he's the one that gives us the peace and the joy. I'm going, do you know how much golf I have played and how many studies I have studied for significance? And I just had to believe in Christ and he gave me he gave me the right to be his child and I believed 
the promise of heaven, the promise of no more guilt and shame and terror. I choose that. So I'm so excited because now I've got it. I've got God. I've got, I read Gruden's. Oh, oh, systematic theology book. That was just like reading a dictionary. But the I saw all the scriptures, the Old and New Testament, and, and the character of God laid out, and it was absolutely beautiful. But I'm standing from a distance. And then a friend said, Nancy, um, it might serve you well. I'm not telling you what to do because I'm so happy that God was for real, and he wasn't who I thought he was. She said, you might try reading the book of John, because he has a son that's just like him. I went, really? I said, yeah, that's Jesus. That's, that's who Jesus is. I'm getting it. That's why he's God. Yes. Yes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. Uh, In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. No favorites with God. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then I read down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that was the key. Right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, own Son, whoever, whosoever believes, what? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. We have a God that cares, that has freed us, loves us, and is going to bless us to the point where we can't even handle it anymore. A lot of you are stuck right now. I get it. It's a terrifying world. I'm glad I'm here today. I I got a call yesterday. Mom, in that voice, what? Lily, my 11-year-old granddaughter, is locked in the cafeteria with a friend. She's hiding under a table. There's a, there's a shooter in their school. The SWAT team, Mom, she lives down the street. She ran over to the school. Of course, they wouldn't let her close. But she gives Lily a phone to carry with her in case of emergency. There were SWAT teams, firing chins, ambulances, in the in the the school just shuts down, everything locks. And two little eleven year olds were hiding in the corner under a table to try to hide from the shooter. That's what these kids are under today. By the grace of God, uh, an electrician had crossed two wires that sent an alarm of a shooter in the school. It was an electrical error. (sighs) But that's the world that we're living in now, filled with terror. John 14, don't let, let your hearts be troubled. To believe in God, believe in me also. The Father's house has many rooms. If that were not true, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come back and take you with me that you might be where I am I am the way and the truth of the life my friends we don't have to we don't have to hang on to our stuff ourselves God is saying, I came, I died for you so I could have a relationship. Please, give them to me. You need to understand how much I love you, but how much value you have to other people that know you. We're all troubled. As you said so well earlier, we all have our stuff. But we need to get together and encourage one another. Because one 
One voice matters. One voice matters. I had a Christian professor who, I don't know, I, I, I thought she was a little nutty, but she was head of the department, so, and I had to report to her, so. She said, Nancy, I don't really care how smart you are or what your golf is. You're going to do nothing of any worth without Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you that. So until you get to know him, not. And I went, okay, right. Oh, the one who kills? Yes. I never forgot her. I never forgot that voice. And I think the challenge for you this morning is, who has heard your voice that has encouraged them and motivated them to deal with their stuff and to realize they're not alone in that? And to begin to have the courage to speak into somebody, to encourage them, to give them hope. Because they're just like you. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And Lord, it is confusing out there. It is terrifying out there. And some of us aren't feeling so well. And we're scared. And I know you say, be anxious for nothing. Essentially, give me it, because I'm not leaving you. And when there's life in this world, there's life in heaven. So, Father, encourage us right now to believe and to know that we are loved. You're not abandoning us. You love us no matter what we've said, what's come out of our mouth, what's come out of our minds. You love us. And you're not leaving us. You're not leaving us. And if there are people in here, Lord, that don't know you, I pray they would just say, Jesus, I believe, come in. I believe what you've done on the cross to forgive me. I'm not feeling it. But I am just saying, I believe that you are the Son of God and died for my sins. Please show me what that means through your Holy Spirit. Lord, just thank you. Thank you, thank you for your words of encouragement. Christ's name, amen. We're going to take a little break and then come back. We're going to talk about suffering for a little while. And how on earth do we navigate in the way that gives us hope? How can we see blessings come from suffering? It should be interesting. So take a break and then meet me back here. Please don't escape because I'll know who you are. All right. Five minutes.